and betting podcast with your hosts Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Yellow boys and girls. It's the Fantasy Footballers DFS and betting podcast Friday, June 9th. I'm your host Kyle Borgannoni and I am joined as always by Matthew, fellow birthday dad Betts. That is correct. A uh, very exciting week for my family as well as yours, which I'll let you share the news. But yeah, my twins turned one yesterday, or I guess by the time this is out, two days ago on Wednesday. Uh, very fun day. Got to see them do the typical one-year-old stuff where they just dig into the cake, icing everywhere. Um, and it was fun. And it was actually a very reflective time because of, on this podcast, you know, I took a, took a couple weeks away when they were born and we kind of joked off and on about it, but then we didn't talk about, you know, dad life for a very long time. And then all of a sudden I was like, man, this year has been crazy with, you know, changes to the podcast and adding in the dynasty podcast and the twins and I moved and you're moving and it's just wild, man. So I'm happy we were able to somehow keep the train on the track, so to speak. Yeah. I feel like the last year and a half has been a whirlwind for both of us. This hasn't changed. You and I keep recording together. Apparently, we 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 like hanging out. Apparently, you can tolerate my takes. I was going to say I tolerate as, it. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but as dads, this is this is the heat of the summer for us. We're best balling, but also so my son Houston on uh Thursday, he turned 7. My son Truman, he turns 4 in about a week and a half. So all of our kids just decided around the same time we're gonna have our our birthdays together, so feel feel pretty pretty proud as dads, right? I mean, it's it's a good feeling. It's great, nothing better. What anything uh, planned for for the big guy? He wants to go see the new Spider Man movie, which I'm totally down because I wanted to go see it. And we're gonna do a little family get together. He's uh, he woke up this morning when, and basically said, "Can I please open one present?" And this was at six a.m. So I don't blame <laughs> them. I don't because I I wanted to do the same. So yeah, it's it's good times in the summer. On this show, Betts and I will be talking about best ball strategy, specifically about stacking. And I think we've kind of drawn this out over the last couple of years of like everybody and their mom is doing it. But we're going to go through some cold, hard data that Betts has just been mining for days, just in the spreadsheets, looking at the formulas and just computing. I mean, just hitting the ones and the twos until he can figure out is stacking good or stacking bad. And our goal is to kind of present it to you in a way where you can kind of say, is this advantageous at a certain point in the draft or do I need to kind of pivot? Because I think a lot of people, they reach on stacks or they do it in such a way where it actually is minus EV. So we're going to hopefully talk to you about some value stacks. And then there's some stacks we disagree on and that's okay right? Like there's, there's players that I'm going to be wrong on every once in a while and bets is going to be right. So we're going to let that happen on the show. That's totally fine. If you want to get our updated rankings in the best ball primer, you can do that at ultimatedraftkit.com. Bets, you and I updated some rankings, moved some players around. So anything this week that stood out to you in the best ball world that you got to update? Yeah, for sure. A couple big movers in the market, you know, the 
Arizona guys, Marquise Brown and Rondell Moore. I was already pretty high on Brown just because I thought the Hopkins thing would happen where he wasn't on the team. Um, and Rondell Moore you know, skyrocketed <laughs> up in ADP as well. And I don't know, man. I mean, I kind of, I'm right in line with ADP, maybe just behind. Never been a huge Rondell Moore guy. New coaching staff. So we'll see how they scheme him. But hopefully now that, you know, the horizontal rate is gone, like Rondell can actually be used more than a four yard a dot or whatever it has been the last couple of years. So that was one that stuck out to me. And then as well, we talked a lot about Van Jefferson with Mike on the Dynasty podcast, which was out on Wednesday. You can get that wherever you're listening to this. And, you know, we were thinking about it. It's like, man, that opportunity is there. So I feel like he's a guy that if you're drafting over the course of the summer, by the time we get to July, his ADP will be up another round or two at least. So I'm trying to grab a lot of Van Jefferson now while his price is still uh, pretty palatable. I moved up DK Metcalf where he is a wide receiver one. Like he's right there, wide receiver 11 for me, which is kind of hot, but I'm, I actually moved him up ahead of certain players, especially on a touchdown site. We've talked before about what he did last year and his opportunities leading the NFL and end zone targets. And I want to be on the right side of that. So I think Seattle's the team that in my rankings, they reflect like they're going to show up on a lot of people's rosters. And that leads me into my quick question. You wrote a, a monster is not the right word, to, a behemoth of an article, Bets. And the sad part is, is you wrote an article about something that's not going to happen until the very end of the year. And I was editing this the other morning and I was trying to explain to my wife that, hey, you know, Bets wrote this article for week 17, but you know, the season hasn't started, but we kind of know the lines. And I, I, I got down to it like, this is kind of, degeneracy like 101 that you writing an article about something that's like six months ahead but for best ball it's super important it's unhealthy is what it is yeah we're trying to predict what might happen you know on new year's eve this year that's when week 17 is so you know there's been a lot of talk about week 17 over the last i would say two years in best ball specifically you know best ball mania and these large field tournaments and the winners you know year after year these guys that are finishing it in first place our game stacking for week 17. So I know that there was a summer last year where it was like, oh, week 17 is all that matters. And then people were like, week 17 doesn't matter at all. And now we're kind of figuring out like it matters specifically in the tournaments. If we're doing a 12 man league, I don't think it's that valuable uh, at all. If you're in a super small field, like on DraftKings, they offer a lot of small field contests. I don't value it very much. But when you think about what it takes to get to the final the championship week, that is a one game slate, right? And specifically, on underdog, it's like 400 and change people. You know, DK's Millie Maker is over a thousand people. And if you've been playing DFS with us, you'll often hear us talking about stacking with your quarterback and then obviously bringing it back on the other side. And so we can use some of those concepts for game stacking with week 17. I think it's very important. I walk through every game, give you the lines, kind of what stuck out to me as far as ADP, how you can go about stacking them, some of my favorite targets, stuff like that. So yeah, check it out. It is a monster over 5,000 words on what might happen on New Year's Eve this year. I, I editing it. I'm not going to lie. I had a moment where I go, Oh, this is, this keeps going. We're, Oh, we're going through all the games. Aren't we here? And bets lays out just kind of the best case. And I've always loved that. You can find games that are under the radar for week 17. Like everyone's going to be looking at, you know, Buffalo, Cincinnati. They're, they're going to find like, dude, that was last Kansas year. City. No, Kansas. I'm saying they're looking at the same teams, Kansas City. Oh, oh, oh yes. Buffalo, New England this year, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, but the game that I've circled 
and I think I've had this since the schedule came out, is Pittsburgh at Seattle. I mentioned earlier that I've been higher on Seattle stacks, and Pittsburgh's also a team that I just read an article about value stacks. I just love where you can get a lot of these. We've talked about Deontay Johnson as a clear bounce-back candidate. Kenny Pickett is showing up way too high in my exposures because he's super cheap. And I just think it's a game that you can find the pieces. You don't have to go into your draft saying, I'm stacking this game. It can fall to you. And Pat Fryermuth is another player. So it's really easy for me to grab one of the Seattle wide receivers to get someone like Deontay Johnson or Pat Fryermuth and then stack it backdoor with Geno Smith or Kenny Pickett. So I think that is game a game that I have a lot of exposure to. Yeah, I do as well. And we're going to talk about Pittsburgh a little bit more on the show later today. So I'll save it for that. And to speak to your point, you mentioned like I'm not going into my drafts trying to stack this game, you know, specifically like Chiefs Bengals. Everyone's trying to stack that. We have no clue what's going to happen in July, let alone August, let alone September, let alone New Year's Eve. So the point of the article is not to say these are the games you should definitely target, you know, sacrifice ADP to do it, make silly mistakes just to get the game. That's that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying more in the article, like we know the data shows it helps. So let the draft fall to you and build your week 17 stacks based off your board. If you're drafting a lot of teams, you'll get some KC and Cincinnati. You'll get some Buffalo and New England. You'll get Pittsburgh, Seattle. So don't force it. Let the draft fall to you. The game, though, that I do want to point out that I think can be uh, a lot of upside. We've talked a lot about Dallas on the show. This show, Dynasty Show, because <laughs> Kyle and I are, are in on the Cowboys this year, um, is the Detroit at Dallas game, which you know, it, weather is always a thing in DFS. Everyone freaks out. It's like, oh, there's a twenty percent chance of rain. Do we need to do we need to change our builds? Like, what do we got to do here? But when you're trying to find small edges, this game is one of a few being played inside a dome, and so I kind of use that as a tiebreaker. Like, we know games generally indoors are more, uh, you know, advantageous for fantasy. There's no snow concerns. There's no cold weather concerns, and we get an offense that I'm pretty high on this year in Dallas, despite the Mike McCarthy. You know, quotes that are out there. Dak is falling. I love CD at the one two turn. You can grab a Michael Gallup late. No one knows who the tight end is. So you can tack him on around 18 if you want to. And then for Detroit, it's I love offenses that are so condensed that it's so easy to say these are the dudes. Like Amonar St. Brown is there, usually at, in kind of the one two turn, sometimes early second. And then you've got Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery, I talked about on our last show in our ranking show. I love him. I'm not a big Sam Laporta guy, but he's always there. Uh, in the back. And there's also too, like for these huge large field tournaments, if you want to get unique, no one really knows like who's going to step up behind Amon Ra and eventually Jamison Williams when he comes back. These guys, you know, your boy, Kyle, I'll let you give your, your shout out here. Marv Jones is sticking come around. On, Marv. Come on, <laughs> the, Mar- come on, the buddy. goat is just floating around out there. Josh Reynolds, Cleef Raymond. I'm not saying those guys are great targets per se, but if you are on this game and you need a bring back, they're always there in, in round 18. Yeah. The, I remember going through this with you and I was like, oh, I've got a team with uh, C.D. Lamb and Jameer Gibbs. And you're like, yeah, everybody's going to have. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite builds, though, honestly. I, I love no, those it, two targets. And Or, you know, with Montgomery. So I, th- I think what you're saying is a dome game. Dallas has a crazy high in team implied total. You and I have been fading the narrative of they're going to run the ball more and saying, hey, they're probably going to have to pass more. The game scripts might be different this year. So yeah, it's a game that we definitely want to attack. But if you want that article, it's on the site, Best Ball Strategy, Week 17 Stacking Guide, or as I like to call it, a full dissertation of Week 17 from Matthew Jeremiah Betts. Uh, You're going to have to take off some work, people. Take take time off to read this thing because it's going to take a week. 
Yeah, like if you need to, you know, if you need to take time off and pay your company in order to read this, like that's totally fine. Like think of the investment in your future. It's going to pay off, right? That's that's the goal. Yeah, when, when you win <laughs> when you win Best Ball Mania, it's going to pay off obviously uh exponentially. Honey, sorry, I can't go to work and we're going to be a little bit behind on my paycheck, but don't worry, <laughs> 6 months from now there's a week in 17 that really matters and this guy named Matthew Betts just wrote all about it. It's awesome. Trust me, you'll want to see it. Let's get into stacking. Stack attack. You know, that drop is not one that I get to use very often because it's something we talk about during the season. So anytime I can find a drop that's an old DFS drop, got to use it. And on this show, we're going to talk about stacking. You can get all of our rankings Everything best ball primer in the app, including the stackability section where you and I talk through each team. So if you're like, hey, I wonder if I should stack the Texans, you can go in there and we break down. Here's the ADPs of these players. Here's why you could stack them. Here's probably the case why you shouldn't stack them. They're pretty cheap, but no one really knows who the wide receiver one is. Let's talk about some data. You dove into some stuff. I dove into some stuff. We're going to kind of combine this together and then give some of our favorite stacking options. We're going to talk about high-end stacks, some value stacks, ones that we're fading, and then ones you and I disagree on. So why don't you hit the people first with why stacking is just normal? Yeah, so this is kind of the starting place for best ball, especially tournaments, um, is if you're not stacking, you're behind the eight ball, which... I feel like is very well accepted now by a lot of people that enter these drafts, which wasn't the case, I would say, even three years ago. When we did this show back then, or the first summer, I think it was, of Best Ball Mania, uh, or the year after, I guess it was, like there was around 10 teams in each 12-man league that were stacking. So it's like, okay, like there still is a little bit of an edge to doing this. Obviously, there's some teams that aren't. But now that number is closer to 11 out of 12 teams. So the field is on this. Every now and then there'll be someone in your league who's not. And truthfully, for a tournament, that lineup is dead from the start. So you need to be stacking, certainly, right out of the gate. Now, when you're looking at advance rate, when you have multiple quarterbacks, which obviously we recommend taking two or three, the data will also show stacking both of the quarterbacks that you have or all three is advantageous versus just saying, okay, I got one stack, like I'm good to go. You do want to stack all of the quarterbacks that you have on your roster helps your advance rate it also has been shown in data that it helps you in your playoff advance rate so meaning you know getting from the regular season to week uh, 15 and then eventually to week 16 so bottom line if you're not stacking you are absolutely behind the eight ball you have to think about stacking in a couple different ways like so we talk about dfs all the time it's a weekly game right we're resetting every single week and saying what you know what kind of stack are we going to look at in best ball, you're thinking about over the course of 16, 17 weeks, and that can be troubling sometimes because you think certain players just go together because they're on the same team, and it's just going to work out really, really well. Matt DeSorbo has an article we've referred to before. It's called Stick to Stacking, and he looked at stacking data for the last 20 years, and he looked at quarterbacks and wide receivers, and what he found is that when you're stacking together, it obviously increases your percentage of hitting a boom week he called that 40 points combined but it also increases your bust because you're investing in one team so I think people don't realize that like you're going all in 
there's upside and then there's real downside to to going in on this stack, especially in a tournament like Best Ball Mania. If you're saying, I'm going to go all in on the Bills, then you are saying with this team, not only do they need to hit and they're going to hit their high weeks, but I'm also going to embrace the bust weeks. So just realize that you're you're increase, increasing the likelihood of both of them. And last year, I looked at the three most common stacks with Josh Allen, with Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, and Dawson Knox. And do you remember where Gabe Davis was going last year, Betts? Uh, it depended on the time of the year, but by August, he was like borderline round three. Yeah, I so his ADP that I have is 43.7. So he's in the fourth round, but routinely going at that 3-4 three, three, turn. And when I'm looking at what it costs for you to have Josh Allen and Diggs, Josh Allen and Gabe Davis, Josh Allen and Dawson Knox, it's interesting because everybody was doing it. 25% of the Best Ball Mania lineups had Josh Allen and Diggs together. Another 25%, so there's some overlap there in triple stacking, but had Josh Allen and Dawson Knox, and about 15% had Josh Allen and Gabe Davis. So realize that a if you have Josh Allen, like at least half the lineups have one of these guys in there. And what matters not only is Josh Allen going to have a good year, but also is the player attached to him, is their advance rate going to be even better? And what I found is that Josh Allen and Gabe Davis actually had, it actually dropped the the advance rate for Josh Allen. Josh Allen and Dawson Knox did the same. It dropped the advance rate, but Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs actually elevated his advance rate. And so that's what you want. You want a stack. You want a stack that actually is going to increase your advance rate. And it's not guaranteed. That's my point. It's not guaranteed that because you stack Josh Allen and Dawson Knox, who was going at, you know, past pick 100, it's not a guarantee that that stack actually is helpful. But just realize that like everybody's doing it. There's probably at least two to three options that are really, really popular. And I'm going to be doing some more data on that of just how many percent of best ball mania lineups are people using? Like, you know, like this year, how much are people using Mahomes and Kelsey? And is that enough to fade? Or is that, you know, something you need to recognize and maybe uh, hit where the market's going? So everyone's doing it, but it doesn't guarantee that everybody's winning at it. For sure. And I just want to speak one one more point to kind of the boom bust aspect of stacking. That's why we play this game specifically in best ball, because we, we used the quote before uh, you ain't first, you're last. And truthfully, if you're not top two, nothing matters. So we are playing that when we draft these teams, when you take that quarterback, when you invest in a couple of his pass catchers, maybe his running back tight end, you're betting on the offense. And if you bet on the, uh, the Broncos last year, it wasn't great, but everyone could see the high-end upside case, and that's what we're drafting for. So I wouldn't be worried about, well, this stack could fail. Like, If it does, it does, but we're betting on it to hit, and that's kind of the DFS concept of tournaments, right? Is like, I'm not playing for safety. Like, I'm not playing for right. 48th place. We're, we're trying to get first. So don't be afraid to stack. And, and again, the data shows you should be doing it. It will increase your advance rate. It will also increase your ceiling outcomes, which is what we're playing for. This next idea that you brought to my attention actually changed the way that I view stacking this year. Because I, you know, usually you think I get a quarterback and I bring, you know, one other player with him. You know, so Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, done. I, I got a stack. I checked it off my list. But the data shows that you should probably be leaning more into total offenses than just finding, you know, a pair. For sure. And specifically, uh, I stole some data. I should say borrowed from from Mike Leone. You can uh, always steal from Leone. Uh, he is 
an incredible best ball mind. I would certainly give him a follow on Twitter. I would check out his work at Established the Run. And what he found is basically like in, in BBM3 uh, last year, looking at how many players you should stack with your quarterback, if you just stack one, it actually was below expected advance rate. So when you're thinking about that, it's it's between 16 and 17% of, you know, if you just kind of had random chance to advance, just stacking one player was actually less than baseline. If you stack two, it was right at, uh, you know, your advance rate neutral. But if you had three, four, or five, it was actually the best advance rate. So to me, what I kind of took from that is, is the same thing. Like sometimes I'll, you know, we'll miss on a Jerry Judy and a Cortland Sutton and I'll be like, you know what? I'll just throw Greg Dulcich on here and it'll be fine with Russell Wilson. Probably not, truthfully. Like you, you probably need to build teams that have three plus guys from them because what you're saying is, you know, when you have three to five players, when that quarterback outperforms his ADP, there's a very good chance he's bringing three, four guys with him in the process. That offense rolls, you get all their touchdowns, you get all the points. And so I really want to lean into more stacks, bigger stacks on my teams this year. But with the caveat, you can go overboard. So, you know, six, seven stacking partners is okay. I don't love it. But the data shows when you get to eight or nine, if you just go like super mega stack, that is very, 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 very bad for your advance rate. Because at that point, you're taking up so many roster spots that not everyone can hit. There's just, you know, there's too many mouse to feed, so to speak. So take home here. The sweet spot is three to five players with a stack. Yeah, that that's huge for me to look at offenses where I can find a cheat piece later on and say, hey, I'm going to get at least four, you know, three or four from this team and just say this offense rolls. So like Khalil Shakir has been a player that's been sitting on boards for me and on teams where I got Josh Allen, he fell behind ADP. I find it pretty like enticing to say I've got Josh Allen. Let's say that you've got a Gabe Davis or Dawson Knox. Uh, if you want Dalton Kincaid, if he falls behind ADP, like this is an offense that we love. We know that in neutral situations, they want to throw the ball over and over and over again. So I'm just going to lead into this offense instead of looking at him and go, Hey, you know, what? I've already, I've already got a couple pieces of this offense. Might as well diversify. It's actually better what you're saying to lean into that fourth or fifth piece. And you'll find offenses that the touchdowns get spread out a little bit more than what you think. Like, you know, Patrick Mahomes, like you're going to find teams where one week it's MVS and the next week it's going to be sky Moore, It's going to be somebody else. So, uh, you know, lean into a team like CEH, I have a couple of teams where I've got three players from Kansas City because I know that offense is going to roll and I'm not sure who it's going to be every single week. It might not be MVS or Sky Moore hitting the top 36, but I know it's an offense that's going to score a ton of points and you know CH is somebody at the very end. I don't mind throwing a dart at your very last pick. So three to five is kind of the sweet spot. Other thing too with that is when you think about the playoff structure, like you could have this awesome team. You get to week 16, you're you're fortunate to advance. And then it, let's say you only have, you know, Mahomes and Kelsey. And for some reason, Kelsey has a down week. Mahomes still does great. You're not getting through to the final, even though you have an incredible team. But if you stacked on a couple extra Chiefs, you might get the touchdowns that are not Kelsey and then sneak a lower rostered Kelsey into the finals. So I think that helps just insulate your offense a little bit, insulate your team and give you just a steady floor that when you are betting on that team, you know, if the, if the quarterback rolls, like I said, multiple guys are coming with. So three to five is the sweet spot sticking with some concepts here with like how many players we should stack and kind of like more or less 
like what types of players we should stack. You know, there's not a lot of explanation to say when possible we should want we should be wanting to stack with the wide receiver one. Clearly that's the best correlation, you know, oftentimes when I'm building DFS lineups, I'm trying to stack the wide receiver one. The same is true in best ball. And actually I was surprised to see that a lot of the data will show, you know, the quarterback and the wide receiver one, it has about a 20% advance rate based off the last two years. This is uh, per Rotoviz's uh, underdog advance rate explorer tool, which is incredible. The wide receiver two stacked with him. So with without the wide receiver one, like let's say if you just had Gabe Davis, you didn't have Steph Diggs, there's no ab- no advance rate you know advantage. It's right at 16.7, which is kind of your expected. So I do think there's some value in trying to really aggressively get the wide receiver one and the quarterback one whenever you can do it. And not just say, well, you know, I missed out on, I'm trying to think of a, who's like an alpha wide receiver one. I'm trying, I missed out on CD lamb. So I'll just throw Michael Gallup and, and Ferguson in round 18 onto my team. The ceiling of that stack just isn't there. So really, I think we should be trying to prioritize that. And I've kind of come around to the fact of like, if I do have that and I want that stack and it's coming to me, I might be willing to reach a few spots to make sure it happens because in these large field tournaments, like I said, just the wide receiver two, just the wide receiver three is not going to get you there. Yeah, I was have a team where I got Garrett Wilson, and I was realizing that the best way to build a stack is you start with an alpha first, like a alpha pass catcher, CeeDee Lamb, Garrett Wilson, you know, Chris Olave, and then you're finding the backdoor quarterback to complete the stack. That's how most teams are completed, right? Like you know, you're getting your digs before you're getting your Allen. All you know, that's how stacks are built. And it makes sense. In DFS, we love to pivot to the wide receiver two because on a given week, a wide receiver two can outperform them. But over the course of the season, you know, Jamar Chase is going to outperform T. Higgins. You know, there's gonna be weeks where Higgins goes for two hundred and two, but over the course of the season, there's a reason why Jamar Chase is at the one oh two. So when you think about your stacks, you're building around an alpha pass catcher, you're finding the other quarterback, and then you're adding the additional piece. But the data kind of shows if you're trying to say, let me just find the cheaper option, which I know I'm guilty of. Like, oh, well, I could just get Michael Gallup, you know, and just go that direction. The data shows that it's probably not as advantageous as you think. Although I think Michael Gallup is a value in himself this year. So keep that in mind as you are stacking this year. Before we get to our next point, let's take a quick break. So, Betts, I'm a dummy, and let's just pretend that this is the first time that I've ever played best ball, all right? So, I'm a noob. You're just taking my money in the lobby. Should I'm going to a draft. Should I stack if I don't have the quarterback? Because I was told that stacking is important, but I missed out on the quarterback, so should I do it? Yes, is is the short answer, but with a lot of, uh, you know, nuance. So, this is something that I almost never did previously. And I would kind of, you know, in the last couple of years say, well, I've got my couple quarterbacks. I stacked them both up. I've got multiple pass catchers with them, like good to go. I'm just going to take the players I believe in or the, the guys I have ahead of ADP in my rankings. And that can be okay. And that can certainly win some leagues and, and things like that. But there is also a lot of correlation among teammates, even if you don't have their quarterback. So what I'm not, what I'm saying here is not to ignore quarterback stacking because that is certainly the primary thing we want to do. But 
if you have CD Lamb and all of a sudden Brandon Cooks falls 10 spots past ADP and you didn't grab Dak, someone just randomly grabbed Dak unstacked, like you shouldn't feel like, oh, well, I can't grab another Cowboy. What if the Cowboys roll this year? What if they are a top 10 offense and you also have a Josh Allen stack with that? You want that correlation and specifically to put some numbers to it over the last two years. Uh, the RB1 and a wide receiver one on the same team without the quarterback has an 18.2% advance rate. Again, baseline is 16.7, so that is above expected. Same is true for the tight end one and the wide receiver one. That's at about 17.6. Not as big of an edge as stacking with our quarterback, but there is some edge there. And again, you want to think about getting access to a team's touchdowns, to a team's performance. And quarterbacks specifically are the easiest position to replace if you have enough of a quality one. Meaning, you know, if you have, you know, Allen, you have Mahomes, you have Jalen Hurts, who was like in the sixth round last year. And let's say you stacked up the Cowboys and then you also stacked up the Eagles with Jalen Hurts and you threw on, you know, a Daniel Jones stack. Like if you have your quarterback stack and you have a secondary stack of a team that you're really high on, that can be very, very advantageous. It is something I don't think the field is doing enough because I think there's something in your head where you're like, well, I didn't grab the quarterback, so I'm just out on this team. Maybe not. I'm trying to come around to the fact that there's a lot of data showing us it's good to correlate your offenses, correlate your teams, even if you don't get the quarterback. This is what I've been doing with Minnesota because Alexander Madison has been a player that I've just been hammering away. And at this point, you know, Dalvin could stay. We still don't have that news, but I just want the offense. I want a piece of the offense. I trust Kevin O'Connell after a year. You know, if you're taking Justin Jefferson early, then you can easily find a path to take Alexander Madison and later on a different piece. Like there, there's a uh, team stack in here, RB1, RB2, and wide receiver one. That had a 23.7% advance rate and the field wasn't doing it as much last year. So if you wanted to take a chance and say it's Alexander Madison, it's Justin Jefferson, and then late you want to throw in another running back like a Ty Chandler, I think that with your last pick, I think what you're saying there is this is an offense I want to invest in. Madison's the dude. Chandler might have a couple of, you know, flex worthy weeks. Maybe he gets, you know, some opportunities at the end of the year, but you're investing in an offense that you think is elite. So I've been trying to think about that more. I've done that a lot with Seattle where it's like, I know there's three wide receivers that are going to be involved. And I also know there's two running backs that I legitimately would be okay with on my team. I love the quarterback. You can get Noah Fant with like your last pick. That's just an offense that you don't have to build it the same way everybody else is doing it, and you get access to a team that we think can win the division. So lots of different ways to do that. The other thing with that, too, is if you go into the draft with that mindset and you understand, like, if I have, you know, the example that you just mentioned, like if I have one of the running backs from Seattle and I have, you know, Tyler Lockett or, or Metcalf or whoever, you won't feel pressured to go up and take Geno ahead of ADP because, if he falls to you, excellent, snag him. Like we want that. But if he doesn't, you can have kind of a, a mindset of like, well, I know there's data that still shows that this is very good for my advance rate. So it helps you, I think, create a little bit of flexibility in your draft and you don't feel like you have to reach a round or two for a stack. Yeah, I had a Jamar Chase team that I was drafting yesterday. And the way that the draft works out, just based on the board, is Chase is going the first couple of picks. And then at the 2-3 turn, T. Higgins is sitting right there. So it's very tempting, and I bet you'll find a lot of builds this year where people just say, go Chase, I'll go Higgins, and then at the 4 or 5 turn, Joe Burrow's there. So it's really tempting to look at that and say, I need to take these players ahead of ADP, 
And I'm totally fine going all in on that offense. But what I found is Chase is there. There's also an option for me to get Mixon, who I think is deflated in value, you know, and you can just find Irv Smith later too. So it's just, it's looking at a team, not just in a way where you can only stack the quarterback. You're saying, I want a piece of this offense and I think they're going to roll. For sure. Let's move on to our fourth point here. This is the final one that we have as far as data. We know stacking is beneficial, but how much should you reach? That's the question I feel like I always get in Discord or people reach out. It's like, well, I'm on the clock. He's here. This is two rounds ahead of ADP. Like, Do you think I should grab it? A lot of the data will show you over the last few seasons that if you are reaching more than a round and a half, so the data shows uh, you know, from like the, the set that I looked at was 16 or more picks in ADP. It significantly hurts your advance rate as far as finishing top two. It hurts your chances of finishing top three. And obviously, winning the league, finishing first, hurts your advance rate if you do it more than that. Every now and then, and I remember you know, from the Tom Brady year where Gronk went crazy, I remember there was, <laughs> there was a show I was, I was watching. I think it was uh, Hayden and Josh from Underdog. They were doing this show about uh, kind of this concept. And someone reached so far ahead of ADP for Gronk and Tom Brady. And they went out and smashed. <laughs> that was like a one-off example of where it actually worked. But a lot of the data will show you, you want to be in line with ADP. And ideally, if you can get these guys that fall past ADP, there's a lot of value that shows that that helps your advance rate too. Meaning when you do take Metcalf and JSN, for example, someone else in your league probably isn't going to be targeting Geno Smith. You might be able to get him after ADP and that is even better. So follow ADP as a guide. Don't go more than a round and a half but whenever you can get him as value. I was in a DraftKings best ball uh, tournament a couple years ago, and I think I had the like one, 101. So I'm taking CMC. And then coming back around, the person that was at, you know, last pick of the second round took Aaron Rodgers. And I laughed my, I just was like, that, that is hilarious. I'm going to win this league. Dude puts up an MVP season and you know, it usually doesn't work out. <laughs> One of my favorite texts to get from from bets, and usually we do this, is if we're in a draft, we're not trying to clown on anyone, but you know, usually we'll say something like, whenever you have to take a player four rounds ahead of ADP, you just got to do it. So there was one yesterday where uh, you sent me Kenny Pickett. It was like four rounds ahead of ADP, which is just, which is just hilarious because we love Kenny Pickett. And that guy didn't even have a stealer even... on his lineup. You just, hey, you got to complete it whenever, whenever you can get a chance to do it. You got, you got to. Let's talk about some high-end stacks we like, and then we'll kind of move down. I think, do you think people are a little perplexed of why we just keep going back to Lamar? Because we, they were our Ravens last year for our win total, and we threw some MVP money at Lamar, and this year we're right back at him. But I find myself saying, Lamar can be QB1. I'm totally sold on Todd Monken and this offense and the way that they game plan change. And then I have never been a Rashad Bateman guy, but he is climbing in my exposures as the wide receiver I want with the Ravens. So yeah, that like I'm buying into this team. And even if I don't get Lamar, I'm, I'm trying to stack different pieces from this team. Yeah, you're not going to hear me really ever argue against Lamar Jackson. And this year specifically, I am aggressively targeting him as well. It, whenever I can, I'm trying to pair up Lamar with Andrews. It's just difficult with their ADPs every now and then you get lucky and Lamar falls a little bit but when we think about the opportunity cost with the quarterbacks that go in that kind of two three turn range you know it's Mahomes Jalen Hurts Josh Allen 
I have nothing negative to say about those offenses or those teams, but Lamar, the quarterback I'm going to talk about, some of these guys that are going kind of as the quarterback four, five, six, seven ish range, I think they've got almost just as good of a chance, maybe slightly less of a chance to finish as QB1, but a very, very, very strong chance to do that. And if Lamar comes out and has a season, which I think he's very capable of having, he's bringing at least two of his guys with him. Now, this is a tricky situation because we don't know who it is. It could be Bateman, it could be Flowers, it could be Odell. But I think this is the part of the draft where, or the part of the season where you kind of get to and you start to formulate some takes. You do have to take stands somewhere. And personally for me, I'm going to be lower on Odell, just given the age archetype, given that we haven't seen him on a field in a very long time, changing teams. Um, So I'm well ahead of ADP on these guys and exposures. I am very, very behind ADP on Odell. That said, if Odell comes out and smashes, I'm going to have a very bad year. (laughs) Did you see I posted the winning Best Ball Mania 4 lineup that uh, had Lamar, had a Bateman in it, and then I took Odell, who was a little past ADP as well, just to get some more teams. So it was cool that they let me post that, and they've already sent the winnings. You are so sad. You're a sad, sad man. I, however, am even sadder because (laughs) the other day I sent Kyle a message in Slack and I'm going to read it right here. My exposure to Justin Herbert this year is going to be unhealthy. <laughs> if he has a bad year, my twins might not go to college. So happy birthday to my little girls. But if Justin Herbert fails, I'm sorry. It's not happening. I cannot be higher on the Chargers this year entering the season because of multiple factors. You know, One is you think about the offensive coordinator change. You think about how that changes the pace of play. Dallas was top four in pace every year that Kellen Moore was the OC. And if he's calling plays, which he will be, That team is going to be running at a very high pace, helps elevate the play volume. We know Brandon Staley wants to go for it on fourth down. That all will help give the offense a boost. I also love the ADOT. Dak Prescott with Kellen Moore in 2019 and moving forward was 9.8, 8.3, 8.2, and 8.7. Justin Herbert's ADOT without Kellen Moore with Joe Lombardi, 7.9 and 6.9. There's regression happening too. Like His touchdown rate by a season went from 5.2 to 5.7. Fell off a cliff last year at 3.6, despite going up in attempts. So that will not happen again this year. The offensive line is healthy. They bring in a first-round wide receiver. And specifically last year, the reason I'm so high on Justin Herbert this year and his stacking partners is only 23% of Herbert's dropbacks last year came with both Mike Williams and Keenan Allen on the field together. And when they were on the field together, he had a 77% completion rate, which would have led the NFL that stat, I'm I, uh, going to give credit to John Daigle, four for four. That's so a hot stat. That is a hot stat. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, Daigle, like, I'm, we got to go with this. So there's so much like about Herbert. I think he's a, a good uh, candidate to maybe finish as quarterback two or three, getting him at quarterback seven. And then one of these guys is always there with him, Keenan or Mike Williams, which I have a ton of exposure to those guys. And obviously, we know Eckler's going to catch the football. So I don't even hate stacking him with Eckler. If you take him in round one, I can't disagree. You know that I'm contractually obligated to say amen to all Colts. I mean, all Colts, all Chargers <laughs> things. And my son was wearing his Justin Herbert shirt yesterday. So we're all in. I will say among the elite quarterbacks, Lamar and Herbert are the ones that I have by far the most exposure to. And we'll talk about this in a second in stacks that were fading or just, it's just hard for us to click the button, but it's easier for me to get a couple of studs in my lineup and then in the fourth or fifth round start stacking with players that I think can finish in that top two or three 
and can support high-end weapons. So that's why we like Lamar. That's why we like Justin Herbert so much this year. Those are our boys. What about value stacks? Like, I I tend to kind of emphasize this a lot in how I you know talk about best ball. I just wrote an article about you know three value stacks that I'm looking at a lot, and it's more of I want to find a player at his ADP that not only do I think he can beat it, but he has a pass catcher that can kind of together they end up elevating a stack. So I have down Derek Carr and Chris Olave. Chris Olave is pretty obvious. And I hate, I hate, hate, hate that people keep taking him, you know, middle of round two, where it's like, I just, I'm begging people at the two, three turn, just leave him there for me. They won't. But Chris Olave, he's wide receiver 12. But Derek Carr, I don't know why he's QB 19. Maybe it's just like, we know what he is. But Derek Carr has beaten this every single year of his career. So asking Derek Carr to be QB 15 is like what he lives to do. Derek Carr somehow signed a contract when he was young that he would never be a QB one. I'm okay with that because <laughs> he's like QB 13. That's as high as he'll go. But if you got a QB 15 season from Derek Carr and a wide receiver one season from, from Chris Olave, you are cooking with gas and you are not really spending the draft capital that you need. We love the Saints as a team, but we think can bounce back. They have the easiest schedule per Warren Sharp. And I think they're going to win that division. So Derek Carr is somebody that's showing up a lot higher in my exposures. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And I also think it's a good point that you brought that into like the, uh, you know, the team outlook you have matters, right? Like we talked a lot about it in the win totals, the divisional previews, like this is the easiest strength of schedule. It's not hard to see the Saints having a good year specifically. So I do like that call as well. Yeah, if you want a quarterback, you can take a quarterback 19 who's going to finish no higher than quarterback 13. <laughs> <laughs> this is your guy, but I like it. Um, the Steelers, I feel like are are one of the teams of this show for some reason. I never thought I'd be on that with Kenny Pickett and what he did last year, but the numbers just say this offense will be better than they were last year. And because they weren't great, you're getting a huge discount on their cost in terms of ADP. So we talked about Kenny Pickett a little bit. He's coming off the board as, as quarterback 23 at 170 overall. 1.8% touchdown rate as a rookie. I would be shocked if it's that low again. Kenny gets a three, four, maybe 5%. League average is about four and a half. Can he get somewhere in that range? And if he does, this offense and the guys that are going after where they should will all outperform their ADP. And it all relies on the touchdown rate specifically through the year. So last year, 43% of Pittsburgh's touchdowns were passing. That was the fifth lowest mark since 2012. That will not happen again this year. And if there are more touchdowns through the year, guys like Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth are both going to outperform their ADP. I love those guys. I've been taking them a ton together. Maybe Kenny Pickett falls to me. If, if he does, great. I'll stack him up. If not, we already talked about it. You can get correlation with the offense just with a couple pass characters, maybe throw on a running back onto that stack, but specifically for Deontay. And I'm proud of the people because when we talked about Deontay a month ago, he was coming off the board as wide receiver 39. Now wide receiver 36. So he's moving up over 800 wide receivers. have <laughs> seen 110 plus targets since 1966, AKA the Super Bowl era. Every single one of those wide receivers has scored a touchdown except for Deontay Johnson. His 147 targets last year, without a score, was an NFL record. That's how much regression is coming for Deontay this year. So I am in on him. The same is true for the Muth. Just two touchdowns last year, despite having almost 100 targets. 
that won't happen again if he gets that sort of volume. So those guys, I am very, very high on as far as where they are at ADP. I love their price. Almost always click the button. When you start talking to me about stuff that's historical, that's, you know, usually I do a lot of that research on Stathead pro football references. I mean, yep, that's, that's just, I got it. that's talking dirty to me. That is the kind of stuff <laughs> that I just love. It gives context. It's, you know, it's also the stats where you get to say like, there's been a thousand of these people and he's only in the, you know, bottom five or, you know, those, those are the things that give context. So Deontay Johnson is somebody that you, you keep, I think you've talked the loudest and I think it's been dead on. And then when I was doing research the other day about DK Metcalf and looking at wide receivers going into year five that sustain that type of target volume, Deontay Johnson was hitting the same exact marks. So I agree with you. I hope Pat Fryermuth just stays there though. Cause like, I, I hope his ADP doesn't climb and I think it'll be relatively stable because I think he's not the sexiest name outside of fantasy footballers world. And I just love, like, I'm still fine with Pat Fryermuth as my tight end one. Same. Yeah, and I, I have a few builds where I just have two, and the Muth is my, my first tight end. I mean, he's he's beautiful. And then I'll just say this last thing about Kenny Pickett is he, there's some rushing equity there that I think people forget that if you get 250 yards, three scores on the ground, like, that kind of is well within range. I, I keep saying, like, he can be 80% of Daniel Jones. And if you're getting at quarterback 23, I think you're getting a an arbitrage play with uh, with Kenny Pickett. Spoiler so alert. So fancy, Kyle. You're so fancy with your words. I know. I can't wait to write my arbitrage, which makes me want to say sabotage <laughs> uh, for the office fans out there. Next category, stacks we are fading. What's wild is the one I wrote down is the exact opposite of the stack that I went for last year. My highest exposure quarterback... My highest exposure tight end last year was Justin Fields and Cole Komet. Now I am on the exact opposite side. And I love that about best ball. You can, you know, based on ADP and everything else, you can fade them. But Justin Fields, DJ Moore, Cole Komet are showing up almost basically nowhere in my exposures. One, I think that you're asking Cole Komet to once again have a couple of outlier touchdowns. And last year he had seven. But if you look at his game logs and Trust me, I had Cole Komet everywhere last year. It was pretty bad. He didn't hit above eight points in half point scoring. Like it was less than 35% of the time. So really he only had four weeks that were even close to being usable. And last year he was steamed up as a late round guy. I just think you're asking for him when you add in, you know, Robert Tunyon, you add in DJ Moore and a healthy Darnell Mooney. The touchdowns aren't going to be there. So Cole Komet's almost off my board this year. And then I just cannot fathom paying DJ Moore's price where you basically have to stack DJ Moore and Justin Fields at the four or five turn. That's something I'm not doing at all on a team that you're just asking a lot for touchdown, just raw touchdown totals uh, in, in terms of passing. And I just, I'm, I'm willing to be off and I'm willing to let somebody else reach on Justin Fields where last year he was QB 15. So at QB five, that's, that's too rich for me. Yeah, and Fields has a massive ceiling. So that's not what I think you're saying. It's just that Correct. the cost this year is much different, and the cost to get his wide receiver one is much different. And there's a lot of data that shows these elite Russian quarterbacks don't or aren't able to support the high end pass catchers that we need, specifically multiple high end pass catchers. So can DJ Moore have a good season? Of course. But is he gonna bring Mooney and Komet with him? I would be very, very surprised if that's the case. So I'm with you, especially on Komet. I'm well below ADP on that. 
last year, just to give some context for Justin Fields, who was an awesome best ball pick, by the way. I mean, victory lap for me, right? Just oh, you know, brother, he was your highest exposure, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, just I, I need to. I'm, I'm still victory lapping. But if you stacked him with somebody other than Cole Komet, you were probably disappointed. If you somehow stacked him with Chase Claypool because you galaxy brained and knew the future, terrible. Um, <laughs> but Justin Fields and his wide receivers, he only had two. Two weeks where a wide receiver went over 13 points. It was your boy, Darnell Mooney, and then your other boy, Dante Pettis. There were two total weeks where you got a stack with those that actually paid off. So it was mostly due to his legs, and it's not with who he was stacked with. Yep, makes a lot of sense. And I'm going to take a similar approach here and just say that I'm not fading this completely, but this is one that I'm pretty much only taking if it's after ADP and by like a round. So I don't have a lot of it. Is Anthony Richardson and Michael Pittman, which... It's really sad because I I think Andy Richardson can be a very fun player for fantasy. I think he can be very good, but his price at quarterback 10, you know, is up where it was a month ago, a month and a half ago when he was coming off the board as like the quarterback 12, 13. He's creeping up there. And we know that these rookie quarterbacks generally are not good for their receivers. I think the stat that you usually throw out, Kyle, is like, you know, almost two thirds of the time or higher, these rookie quarterbacks don't support one top 36 wide receiver. Michael Pittman is coming off the board as wide receiver 28. There's not a lot of room for air there for that to hit. Can Michael Pittman have a few good weeks? Of course. But over the course of the season, I think a lot of the data historically that shows elite rushing quarterbacks and rookie quarterbacks just aren't good for elite wide receivers as far as their fantasy ceiling. So I'm off Pity City, which is very sad to say. I'm off Anthony Richardson at this price and specifically that combination because everyone's going to have it it's just one that I'm I'm looking to fade this year. You know, Michael Pittman, right now he's going at pick. 55! And the problem with that is you compare it to last year and you say that he's a value. And I get that. But when it comes to just raw touchdowns on a site that we care about touchdowns a ton, it's hard seeing above six. Like it, it's hard looking at a scenario where he's, Totally there. So I haven't been taking much of him, which is super sad because he was obviously our boy last year. Um, I think he's still going to get a second contract. I think he's like still a solid wide receiver. Oh, he's a very I good wide receiver, I would say. Okay, so let's say you put Michael Pittman on. Let's say you put Michael Pittman on the Bills instead of Gabe Davis. Oh, brother! Now we're talking. I mean, I what what would be his ceiling in your mind if if Diggs is still there, and Pittman was on the Bills. I mean, if Diggs is still there, I think top 12 is unlikely. But top 20, I think it's possible. Yeah, I think he could hit top 15 if the touchdowns go his way. Like, so sad. There's so many players like that that we're going to look back in their careers and go, hey, Terry McLaurin, uh, DJ Moore, you know, those are the kind of players. Let's finish by talking about stacks we disagree on. So I'm ready to fight and... My hot take has been that I, maybe this is too hot. I have basically taken zero Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey in tournaments. Okay. In, uh, you know, 12 man leagues, totally fine with it. Three man, obviously you're going to take Kelsey a ton, but at this cost. Okay. So Mahomes QB one 20th overall Kelsey, obviously the tight end one going six overall last year. We forget. Travis Kelsey was going at the back of the first round, 
Patrick Mahomes was going 47th overall. There were drafts where Patrick Mahomes was routinely going in the back of the fifth, which is a very different cost than where they're at now. You have to take them with their first two picks. So am I off by saying I'm going to have zero of them? I Having zero of that combination just sounds terrifying, especially because... Like, you know, everyone's doing the KC since the 17, week 17 game stack, but there's a good reason why they're doing it, right? Like these offenses could just be incredible. They could come out and have an incredible week. That feels very terrifying to have zero of, but I do understand where you're coming from with the fact of like, look, this opportunity cost is way different. You have to spend not only your first, but also your second round pick to secure this stack. Um, And Kelsey, you know, like there's numbers that say, he was incredible last year, but there's also numbers that say like he might be coming down a little bit. Specifically, looking at the quarter or the excuse me, the tight ends like two through eight. Like last year, that range didn't do very well, and so if you had Kelsey, he just absolutely smashed. But let's say Mark Andrews has a good year. Let's say Pat Fryermuth can outperform ADP by five spots, or you know whoever Kyle Pitts doesn't fall on his face. Like Kelsey might not be as valuable. So I understand what you're saying. But man, I want to be high on the Chiefs for obvious reason. Kelsey's going to score a bunch of touchdowns. This is a touchdown-only site. So I have plenty of exposure to the stack, but I'm not going overboard out of my way to get it. Just to give you some numbers, last year in Best Ball Mania, 21% of Patrick Mahomes' lineups were stacked with Kelsey, okay? So a fifth of the field was doing this. And (laughs) the advance rate is insane. If you had those two players alone, your advance rate was 41%. Let's say you, I don't know, threw in a Josh Jacobs because you just got lucky and got the, if you had those three players, Mahomes, Kelsey, Jacobs, you had a 79%. You could have logged off. You literally (laughs) could have logged off and just gone on autopilot and definitely made the playoffs. So it's pretty insane. And my point is the opportunity cost is relatively speaking. So, I mean, it's just way different than what it was last year. Last year, you could take it with your first pick and arguably your fifth pick. This year, it's one and two, which I, yep. I'd say is uh, is just too high. So I think the thing we disagree on is that I'm a bit overboard and extreme in saying zero for tournaments is I've gone this far and I'm just willing to just go even further, but uh, we're not playing for, for safety here. That's true. I, I understand where you're coming from. The other stack that I want to talk about with you is just Washington. And I, I know specifically you're kind of a big Sam Howell guy. You grinded the tape, <laughs> looked at the numbers. There you go. You are in on Sam Howell as the round 18, round 17 pick to pair with, you know, McLaurin and or Dotson, which I do agree. I, I think Eric Bieniemy coming over is going to be good for that offense. But in these tournaments, we know dead spots, meaning guys that make it to, you know, your week 17 matchup that aren't starting, that get injured, that get released, you know, whatever. Your chances of winning and advancing is terrible. So, I guess where I'm coming from is like, I just don't think you need Sam Howell this year. I don't think you need Jacoby Brissett this year. I'm fine taking a couple of Washington guys and helping the offense rolls, but I just don't think that Sam Howell specifically or Jacoby Brissett is going to be the key to my advance rates or the key to winning a tournament. Because again, you're competing with Mahomes, Allen, Hertz, Herbert, Lamar. I think there's better round 18 picks, round 17 picks in my opinion. Okay. I, I understand the pushback because I've had to kind of step back from, you know, Sam Howell, you know, has this rushing upside. You can get him with your last pick. He's not going with your last pick anymore. He's moved up a full round. And yeah, it it is, it's tough when you're building a team and counting on a quarterback who 
literally might not be a starter for the team the final, you know, second half of the year. So he they're going to starting week I, one. I know, which is which is wild. Like <laughs> that, that's a real possibility. I mean, Brissett and that team, like last year with the Browns, they averaged twenty four points a game with him. So there's there's a reason why Brissett is getting some more, you know, push right now. So I I get your point though. You're saying that Sam Howell or let's say I'm going to use Trey Lance because some people are still taking Trey Lance in round you know sixteen or whatever is. This person might not be a key to your roster. Like if you're taking a quarterback in the elite tier and you're finding somebody else, then adding a Trey Lance or a Sam Howell as a QB3 is kind of almost irrelevant unless they put up a Geno Smith type season and you're saying in a tournament that you're threading the needle. And I would say it's fun to think that way and contrarian, but at this point, I think the the cost is outweighing it that I'm banking on that to happen. So I've... I've kind of backed off since you've brought that up and since we've got news that Jacoby Brissett could be, you know, the dude. So you're still going to have a ton of Terry and Dotson though, right? I don't know if I'd say a ton, but I'll have enough of them for sure. All right, let's jump to some mailbag. Mailbag. All right. If you want to get your questions answered best, you need to be able to go to our Discord channel. We have a best ball one that is just going, it's it's nonstop, and Bets and I get to jump in there, give some thoughts. This first question is from Jason's Black Polo. How much stacking is too much stacking? Yeah, so this question, you know, we hit on a little bit with just don't stack up eight or nine guys from the same team, but three to five is a sweet spot. But I left it in here as a reminder, like it's okay to have your primary stacks, your secondary stacks, and then even kind of these tertiary stacks for example, if you have, you know, a let's say you have a charger, you took Mike Williams and you didn't get Justin Herbert, like there's still benefits to stacking up teams that are playing each other in week 17, even if you don't go full game stack. What if Samaji P. Ryan and Mike Williams are kind of the two pieces that go off in that game, you know, for example, or Coral and Sutton? So I would say I'm always trying to stack, whether it's with my quarterback, with the same team, and with their opponents throughout my entire roster. Just because correlation we know is so important for these tournaments. So I don't think there's too much stacking that's possible, except for don't stack seven, eight, nine guys. Yeah, unless you're reaching, I think it's really not possible to find the players. Like like even I mentioned Seattle. Like if you had Charbonnet, Ken Walker, two wide receivers, and Geno, I'm actually okay with that. But I don't think you can actually get that to happen because other people find them valuable as well. Next question from I Got Worms on Discord. Is there any value in breaking up other team stacks? So, you know, you're looking at a team, you see, oh, they're about, I know they're going to stack this. I should grab them. Basically playing defense is what this question is. So yeah, if someone has Herbert, or uh, excuse me, Eckler and Keenan, and you're like, oh, I'm taking, I'm taking Herbert here. We just said there's a lot of data that if you don't have the top pass catcher and the quarterback, it's going to significantly hurt your team. So I would say there's no value in doing this. I see it all the time, though. And I can understand maybe where people are coming from, but you're only hurting yourself by doing this because what you're saying at that point is, well, I'm going to bet on Herbert, but Keenan and Eckler have to fail for this to work out, which if that's happening, that's very, very, very unlikely. So I will not be doing this. I don't think you should be doing this. I think it's a very bad strategy. I liked your advice. You're only hurting yourself. You sound like a like a, like a a therapist, you know, just like really sitting someone down and saying, hey, this is actually hurting you. Uh, next question from Samuel White. What is your approach when a quarterback drops way past ADP, 
but you don't have any of his stacking partners. Like if Herbert falls or Burrow or Lawrence, well, I mean, what do you, what do you, how do you approach that? Yeah. So this is one that I think I kind of go back and forth on depending on how my team is looking specifically in this situation. Like if it's a quarterback three, like if I take my third quarterback and they're not stacked, we know the data shows you should stack a lot of the quarterbacks that you have as many as possible. But if I have two really strong stacks and you know, for example, this person put Stafford into the 180s. They're 20 spots after ADP. There's a lot of value in getting ADP value spots on your roster, and that's going to help your advance rate. So I'm actually okay with it in this scenario. I don't love it, obviously, but if a guy falls far enough, like they're going to be a good pick, and they're probably going to be helping you get to the playoffs. Will they help you win in the playoffs? No, because you don't have their stacking partner, but they can at least help you get into the dance. Yeah, I'm much more willing to take quarterbacks like this that have rushing upside so Deshaun Watson is somebody that I was shocked was showing up more in my exposures but if he gets in the hundreds then you have a player that's shown us that he can run the ball and you can find backdoor stacks with him the problem is is Deshaun Watson Elijah Moore and David Njoku are literally all clumped together so you're gonna find somebody that you know needs a tight end and they're just gonna take Njoku because he's a good tight end pick they're gonna have somebody that takes Elijah Moore because he's a good wide receiver pick. And then you end up not being able to complete the stack, you know, after when you're like, Oh, I'll grab Deshaun Watson. But Deshaun Watson is also somebody that's never historically thrown to the running back position. So I'm willing to do this more. If somebody I know can just get there on by themselves. And so, you know, the, the naked quarterbacks that we talk about in DFS, like, okay, Kyler can run Gino. I wish he ran more. Um, Trevor Lawrence can run. Those are the kind of players that I'm willing to do more. But if the, if you're finding a player fall and you need a quarterback too, and you just think this is a good quarterback that can outperform their ADP, I'm totally fine with that and find a really cheap late stacking option if you if you want to. Um, last question here from Campbell61. How much do you value week 15 and 16 stacks? Would you take a player to complete a week 15 and 16 stack over taking a player to complete a week 17 stack? So this is one that I thought about a little bit, and I think it is good thought process because it's like, okay, we know correlation in one week matters, but when you're thinking about week 17, you know, you're going up against 450-ish people or 1,000 people if you're in on DraftKings Million Maker or whatever the contest. So that is way more important to have that correlation built in. When you're in week 15 and 16, it's still, you know, depending on the site, a 12-team league for that week so to speak or a 16 team league for that for that week so i don't think you need to go overboard i think that's a little bit galaxy brain ish that said if you have a natural week 17 stack that also kind of has some built-in secondary week 15 and 16 correlations i like that it's just that you'll drive yourself crazy trying to make sure that you get it in every one of your drafts to the point where you just will be sacrificing the other things that are better for best ball meaning roster construction adp values things like that yeah, I think the the key point you're saying is the way that they're structured in Best Ball Mania, for instance, is that a you know you're playing Week 15 within a much smaller tournament, you know, as opposed to you know the Week 17 you're playing against 400 plus people. You're just trying to beat your own league, right? In, in Week 15 and 16, so you don't need the nuts. You do need it when you get to Week 17. So right. it's kind of the same principles we talk about: small field versus large field in DFS keep that in mind. That's going to do it for this show. Bets and I are going to keep talking about best ball all summer long. 
You and I are going to get to update our rankings, our primer. We're going to celebrate our birthdays with our kids. It's a, it's a pretty good what summer. What a time to be That's, alive. What a time to be alive, off. Kyle. It's great. Happy weekend to all of you. Enjoy it out there. Go draft some best ball teams. Make sure you're stacking, but not too much. Have a great weekend. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS and Betting Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at thefantasyfootballers.com.